the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. Today is Christ the King Sunday, and it is the last Sunday in the church's year, and next week we will start all over again with the first Sunday of Advent. What this means is that the church year tells the story of Jesus every year. We have this sort of rhythm. It's one of the great things about a liturgical tradition. Every year we begin with Advent and the uh, anticipation of Jesus. And then we have, of course, Christmas, the birth of Jesus. And then we have Epiphany. And then we have Lent. And then we have Easter. And then uh, we have the story of Pentecost and the flourishing of the church through the Holy Spirit. But today, today is the culmination of the story that we've been telling all year long, the final and glorious declaration that Jesus Christ is our King. But I wonder, I wonder if saying that Christ is King, if that really makes much sense to you. Does that image of Christ as King draw you to Jesus? Does it help you to love Him more. And I just ask that because for me, and I just mean this on like an instinctive, reactionary, sort of emotional gut level, the image or the idea of Christ as king sort of puts a little extra distance between me and Jesus. Again, this is only my reactive emotion, but uh, around this particular way to talk about Jesus, but Jesus as king sort of just puts him off in a castle somewhere. I'm more resonant with the good shepherd, with the itinerant preacher, with the great physician. Christ the King sort of evokes for me a sense of inapproachability. Now, of course, I know that's not what the image is supposed to do. It is supposed to speak to Jesus' primacy, his supremacy, his royalty in the divine sense, his birthright office that I am to submit to. Christ the King is a description of Jesus' glory and is a wonderful image. I just have to work a little harder with this image. I don't know about you. And honestly, it really doesn't matter how I feel about it, right? Christ is the King. But as I've approached this sermon, I have been helped by the passage from Revelation that Jennifer read. And it's kind of a crazy passage, really. It's just this wild imagery of Jesus. But it speaks ultimately to the kind of king that Jesus is. A king that's not far off in the castle, but near. Who uses his strength and power not for himself, but for us. So the passage begins and the apostle John is an old man. And this is John that walked with Jesus. This is John who wrote the gospel that our gospel passages from today. And in fact, it's the, the John for whom our river is named. He is the one apostle who has not been martyred. But in his old age, he is, uh, has been put in exile on the very remote island called Patmos. He's been exiled for preaching the gospel. And it's Sunday. 
the Lord's day. And so he's worshiping. He's on the island, but he's in the spirit. He's deep in prayer. Now imagine, just imagine that you are like John. You're all alone on this island. You're in a cave by yourself. You're talking to the Lord in prayer, and a voice speaks from behind you. I mean, you would jump. And it, was a, it wasn't just a, a gentle voice, but a voice like a trumpet, this jarring, startling, clarion announcement. Write this down. And John says, I turned to see whose voice it was. Now, this isn't really what the sermon is about, but I don't want to miss this. Uh, he turned to the voice that was calling to him. Y'all, that's Repentance. He turns to the voice that's calling. Jesus' voice is always calling to us, always calling us to turn towards Him, to turn away from the things that pull us down, to turn away from the things that cloud our faith and compete for our heart's devotion. John turns to the voice to see whose voice it was and what did he see. Now, I don't know what he was expecting, but it was not this. It was not this. The, the cave sort of fades away, and the, the vision that becomes the revelation is beginning to take shape, and he sees uh, walking among seven golden lampstands that weren't there just a minute ago. Uh, these, these lampstands represent the seven churches. Walking among, the, among them is Jesus. But it's not Jesus as John knew him back in the day, decades earlier, except maybe on the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that just strange episode where Jesus took John along with his brother James and then Peter, he took him up on a high mountain and, and Jesus shone bright white with glory. Do you remember? And Moses and Elijah show up. Maybe this Jesus on Patmos is a little like that Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. But it must have been scary. Just really scary. Think about when you turned to Jesus for the first time. You expected something more like the Good Shepherd, right? Just uh, gentle, humble, kind, approachable. This, this must have been scary, otherworldly. Now, it's, it's all symbolic, of course, and in fact, it's right out of the prophet Daniel, chapter 10. Jesus is wearing a long robe and a golden sash, and this speaks to his heavenly nature, and probably also to his divine royalty, especially the golden sash. And his head and his hair are white as snow. It speaks to his purity, to his wisdom, and maybe also to his, his ancient and eternal nature. His eyes, like a flame of fire. Now, you've probably seen someone who's, who's angry or uh, intense, or whose eyes seem like a, uh, uh, they were on fire. It's, this speaks to his intensity, uh, to his seriousness, and maybe to his intelligence as well. His feet, this is a strange uh, thing to notice, his, his feet were like burnished or highly polished 
bronze. It speaks to his beauty, his strength, his steadfastness. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. So not like a trumpet anymore, but still very loud. Uh, Now like a waterfall. Powerful. I don't know what a voice would would sound like that sounded like a waterfall, but, but powerful and strong and rushing and unceasing. So you've got white hair and fiery eyes and bronze feet and golden sash and a voice like a waterfall. And in his hands are seven stars. Now if we were to read a little further in the chapter, we would see uh, that the stars are angels. Or like the spirits of these seven churches that he's that John is going to be writing to. And so Jesus has angels in his hands. And his face, again, just transfigured, radiant with his glory, shining uh, like the sun. From his mouth comes a sharp, two-edged sword. And this is his word. The book of Hebrews uh, says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Sword piercing our souls and judging our hearts and motives. Now, whether John saw an actual sword coming out of Jesus' mouth or, or not, I don't know. I couldn't begin to claim, but, but John is saying that Jesus' words are piercing, sharp truth. So, John hears the voice and turns to see who it is, and this is what he sees. Transfigured, heavenly, fire eyes, bronze feet, angel hands, sword mouth. And John does the only reasonable thing to do. He falls down at Jesus' feet as though he were dead. It's the the appropriate response. He is confronted with the unveiled holiness of Christ the King. And this saint of God, who has given his whole life to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus, who is suffering in exile for the gospel of Jesus, when he sees the heavenly Jesus, he cannot stand. He cannot breathe. He's overcome with fear just from the pure glory of Christ the King. And we forget... We forget, I think, the holiness of Jesus, the majesty, the the glory. We kind of whittle him down to size to understand him. That's natural, and and in a sense, I think that's okay. But we can't forget that Jesus is not just one of the guys. He is God. He is totally other. He is the eternal and glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. And John, who knew Jesus, who had been on the Mount of Transfiguration, did not have a category. He was not prepared for his encounter with Christ the King. Now, now remember, I said I was... This passage actually shows that Jesus is not a king who's unapproachable, right? I have not made that case so far. (laughs) But look what happens next. In all his fearsome glory, Jesus does not look at John at his feet and say, "Mm mm-hmm, that's what I thought. (laughs) 
Jesus doesn't say, get up, you knucklehead. Jesus, the glorious king with the fiery eyes and the wild white hair, leans over and he lays his hand on John and he says, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Now, I don't know what he did with the stars that were in his hands, but he lays his hand on John and he offers him a word of comfort and a word of assurance. Don't be afraid. You know, sometimes I think we feel afraid of what God is going to do to us. Or we're nervous about what would happen if he saw the real us. If he, uh, he's going to bring up that event from the past. Or he's going to um, see that habit we couldn't kick. And no. In all his glory, his word to us is don't be afraid. And in fact, John, who's lying at his feet, at his feet as though dead... Jesus says, I was dead, but see, I'm alive forevermore. In other words, I was dead, and you don't have to be. I'm the one who has the keys to death and hell, and I'm not going to unlock that door for you, because I'm the living one, and you're with me. You're with me. There's never a time where Jesus is not merciful We'll say in a minute in the, in the prayer of humble access, his property is always to have mercy for all his shining holiness. I think the only time his word to us is anything other than merciful is when we are prideful. If we are touting our own glory, if we're relying on our own resume, look at me, look at me. Because that draws attention away from the king. Jesus' harshest words in his earthly ministry were for the religious people, the self-righteous. But when we lift our eyes away from our own plastic glory and see him for who he is, his word is grace and courage. Don't be afraid. You're with me. Let's let that word pierce our hearts. Let that grace and courage give us faith and strength. Because though he has every right to be, Jesus is not a king who is far off and unapproachable. And in fact, he has approached us. He has said, do not be afraid. So can we turn to him? Can we hear his voice and turn to see him? Can we see him for who he really is and still receive his merciful touch? We're going to say our prayers and we're going to confess our sins and then we're going to take in faith the sacrament of his body and blood. Let's not miss the glory of our king. Let's be drawn to him and his generous character and may we frame everything that awaits us in the days ahead, in the gracious command, do not be afraid. You're with me. Amen.